Something else that's pretty important is that there's a required occupancy of at least 90% for 12 months before closing. That's going to be physical occupancy. So if you're buying a 100-unit property, then over the previous 12 months, the average physical occupancy needs to be 90 units occupied. If you're a passive investor wanting to learn more about questions to ask sponsors in order to qualify the opportunities, in order to qualify the sponsor, in order to qualify the market that the property is in, then go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. My team and I created this site just for you so that there is a free resource available to you to learn about the questions to ask, the things to think through prior to investing in deals. So go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. It's a free resource for you that was made just for you. There needed to be a resource on apartment syndication that not only talked about each aspect of the syndication process, but how to actually do each of the things and go into it in detail. And we thought, hey, why not make it free too? That's why we launched Syndication School and Theo Hicks will go through a particular aspect of apartment syndication on today's episode and get into the details of how to do that particular thing. Enjoy this episode and for more on apartment syndication and how to do things, go to apartmentsyndication.com or to learn more about the Apartment Syndication School, go to syndicationschool.com so you can listen to all the previous episodes. Hi, best of your listeners. Welcome back to another episode of the Syndication School series, a free resource focused on the how-tos of apartment syndication. As always, I'm your host, Theo Hicks. Each week, we air two podcast episodes every Wednesday and Thursday that are typically a part of a larger podcast series that focus on a specific aspect of the apartment syndication investment strategy. And for the majority of these series, we will be offering a document, spreadsheet, some sort of resource for you to download for free. All of the free documents, as well as the past Syndication School series, can be found at syndicationschool.com. This episode is a continuation of yesterday's episode. This will be part two of the series entitled How to Secure Financing for an Apartment Syndication Deal. If you haven't so already, I recommend listening to part one where we discussed the two main types of debt. That's going to be the recourse and the non-recourse debt. We talked about the loan guarantor, the key principal, who is either going to be you or someone else that meets the lender's requirements to qualify for the loan. And then we started to talk about the two main categories of financing, which were the agency permanent loans and the bridge loans. And as I mentioned in the episode, that was a general overview. In this episode, I wanted to get into more specifics and talk about some of the most common and most popular loan programs that are offered by some of the most popular and common debt providers used by value-add apartment investors, which if you don't know already, value-add apartment investors is someone who is going to find a deal that is distressed in some minor ways, so all the main mechanicals are either fine or only a few of them need changing. Maybe you need to restart a parking lot, maybe you need to replace a few roofs, but nothing insane, nothing major. Property's already stabilized, the occupancy is at least 85%, but the rents are low, or the units are outdated, or the management isn't as good as it should be, and the value-added investor will go in there and add value by fixing those things and increasing the rent. 
So these main loan programs that I want to talk about today are going to be the agency debt, which is going to be the Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Also the government program, which is HUD. And then I talk about a few other types of loans you can secure. So CMBS, traditional banks, or life companies. And this is actually going to be a free document. It's going to be essentially a matrix that goes over all the characteristics of these loan programs, the description of the loan, term, size, etc. But I wanted to kind of go over these on the podcast as well, just for those of you who just listen and don't want to download the document so that you can have at least a basic understanding and a familiarity of different types of loans so that when you're actually reaching out to your lenders, first of all, you can start to think about, okay, I want to be a value-add investor. Here's my business plan. Okay, so these are the types of loans I can potentially pursue. And based off of those loans, here's how much money I'm going to have to put down. And here's how much money I'm going to pay on an ongoing basis. And here are some of the other risks of that loan. And two, once you are talking to your mortgage broker, when you're talking to your investor and they ask you questions about the loan, you know what you're talking about. So the spreadsheet is not going to be completely exhaustive. I did not include every single loan program that there is. There's actually a really good website out there that goes over essentially every single loan that there is. Just Google multifamily loans. And the website's literally www.multifamily.loans. So if you want to find all of the loans that are out there or learn more on these particular loans, I recommend going to that website. Now, the first category of loans I mentioned are those agency loans. And so that's Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. We'll start with Fannie Mae. So Fannie Mae, they have top four loans. And I'm not going to go over all the different characteristics. I'm just going to go over the description and then kind of talk about the pros and the cons of these loans. So the first one is going to be the Fannie Mae Small Loan Program. And what's nice about this one is that for their main loan program, their DUS loan program, which I'll go over in a second, the loan size minimum is going to be $3 million. So before this small loan program, unless you find a deal that was above $3 million, then you couldn't pursue a Fannie Mae loan. So they created this small loan program, which has a loan size as low as $750,000, which means that people that are buying these smaller multifamilies can still use Fannie Mae. Also, the application process is very streamlined, so there's a lot less paperwork and a lot less fees associated with it. But overall, for the description, it's just a loan that has a minimum size of $750,000, and the process of securing that loan is a lot more simple and a lot less expensive compared to their other programs. For the actual pros for this loan program, you're going to be facing competitive interest rates, which I feel like all of these say competitive interest rates. Some of them say very competitive interest rates. Maybe those are the ones that are the best, but most of them just say competitive interest rates. You've got a loan-to-value of up to 80%. Again, the process is very streamlined. The capital improvements can be included in the loan. That is possible. The debt is going to be non-recourse as well as assumable. Supplemental loans are going to be available after 12 months, and there's no processing fees. The cons, these aren't necessarily cons, these are maybe some drawbacks or extra requirements for this loan. So number one, you're going to have replacement reserves that are equal to $250 per unit, which if you remember during the underwriting podcast series, we already are taking that into account, so that's not that big of a con. Something else that's pretty important is that there's a required occupancy of at least 90% for 12 months before closing. That's going to be physical occupancy. So if you're buying a 100-unit property, then over the previous 12 months, the average physical occupancy needs to be 90 units occupied. There's going to be a $10,000 application deposit required, 
and the lender fees are going to be anywhere between $4,500 and $13,000. So that's that first Fannie Mae program, the small program. The next one is going to be the DUS, or the Delegated Underwriting Service Loan. And this is one of the most popular loans for multifamily investors that use Fannie Mae, or really in the industry in general. The difference between the small and the DUS is going to be that minimum, as well as the application process. So the minimum for the DUS is going to be higher, and the process is a little bit more in-depth than for the small. But other than that, majority of the loan term, debt service coverage ratio, LTVs, they're all the same. So I'll just go over the pros really quickly. Competitive interest rates, same as small. Up to 80% LTV, same as small. Non-recourse and assumable, same as small. Supplemental loan available after 12 months. But for this one, there is interest only available. And it's only available for the other one as well, but that's kind of a selling point for very popular DUS Fannie Mae loan. The drawbacks for this loan are going to be you're still going to need replacement reserves. The occupancy rate requirements are a little bit better for this loan program. The requirements are an 85% physical occupancy and an 80% economic occupancy 90 days before closing. And then the application deposit is going to be $20,000. And unlike the small, there is a processing fee of three grand for this one. And then something else that's interesting is that if you're going to be an absentee owner of the property, then in order to qualify this loan program, you need to hire a third-party property management company, and you're going to need to have a strong track record. Whereas for local owners, this essay doesn't apply. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Now, Fannie Mae does offer a rehab loan. It's called a moderate rehabilitation loan. So they say if you currently own or want to purchase, this is something that could be secured when you already have a deal and you want to do some renovations. And this essentially allows you to include a minimum of $10,000 per unit in the loan. So these are for not heavy renovations, but not just a few cosmetic updates. These are things where maybe you're kind of redoing the entire kitchen, redoing the entire bathroom, doing new floors, things like that. And the loan size is going to be a minimum of $10 million. So this doesn't work for smaller deals. So if you've got a million dollar property, you're not going to be able to do this moderate rehabilitation loan. And they'll actually loan up to 80% of the stabilized value. So that's not necessarily an LTV or an LTC. It's just based off of the ARV in a sense. So the pros for this one, besides obviously the renovation costs being included in the loan, $10,000 per unit or higher. There's going to be also competitive interest rates that is still non-recourse and assumable. Because typically when you do these types of rehab loans, you're going to have a floating interest rate. Whereas for this, there's a possibility of having a fixed rate. and There's also a possibility of interest only. Some of the cons or drawbacks or extra things to think about. There's a $25,000 application fee. Expect to pay anywhere between fifteen dollars and $20,000 in the legal fees. And then if you are doing $20,000 or more per unit renovations... Then there's something called a rehabilitation work evaluation report that you'll be required to fill out or have filled out and that probably requires inspections. And then they're going to also provide them with a scope of work before you qualify for the loan. Now the fourth loan that I wanted to talk about is called the near stabilization execution loan. So this is when maybe you secured a bridge loan or maybe you developed a property or recently renovated a property. And the property is expected to achieve stabilized occupancy within 120 days. So that's above 85 to 90%. Then you can secure this near stabilization loan. And essentially, and I mentioned this in the last podcast episode of part one, this is what you would get after your bridge loan is expired. So you'll see you put your three-year bridge loan on the property. 
then this is the type of loan that you'd want to secure after you've stabilized the property. But again, some of the important loan terms to think about, that there is a $10 million minimum, so it's not going to work on those smaller properties. But everything else is going to be very similar to their DUS loan program. So from a pros and cons perspective, pros, that competitive interest rate comes back again. They're going to be non-recourse and assumable. You still have that ability for the supplemental loan after 12 months. A pretty big difference is the occupancy requirement. So the requirement is 75% physical and 60% economic occupancy over the past 12 months. So again, this is a loan that you can secure before the property is even stabilized. So it's eligible for properties that are partially leased, that are recently built or newly renovated. And then some of the cons, the drawbacks, other things to think about. There is a $12,500 application deposit required as well as a $3,000 processing fee. And then there's a 1% origination fee for the loan. So those are the top Fannie Mae types of loans. The other agency is Freddie Mac. So for Freddie Mac, there are going to be five loans that I want to talk about. And as you're listening to this, you'll realize that the loan programs are fairly similar to the loan programs offered by Fannie Mae with slightly different terms, but it's nothing too different. So the first one Fannie Mae has their small loan. Freddie Mac has their small balance loan. So the small balance loan is going to have a minimum of $750,000. So remember for Fannie Mae that their small balance loan had the exact same minimum. But for the Freddie Mac small balance loan, the maximum is actually going to be a little bit higher. So their maximum is $7.5 million compared to the $5 million for Fannie Mae. And similar to the Fannie Mae loan, this is going to be a streamlined loan. So there are substantially compressed costs and rates for this loan program. So the pros and cons for the small balance loan. Pros, LTV up to 80%. Again, you're going to have that streamlined application process. It's going to cost you less money and take less time. The loan is going to be assumable as well as non-recourse, and there is that interest only available. And again, if you download the free document, it's called Top Loan Programs. You'll see exactly how they determine the interest rates for all the loans that I'm discussing. And then the cons, the drawbacks, some things to think about. There are replacement reserve requirements for this loan between $200 and $300 per unit. Expect to pay a $7,000 application fee as well as a processing fee equal to approximately 0.1% of the loan amount. You are required to obtain a variety of third-party reports during the due diligence process that need to be signed off on by the lender. And then there's going to be a net worth requirement, so a net worth equal to the loan amount, as well as a liquidity requirement with a liquidity equal to nine months of debt service, as well as an experience requirement, which they state as effectively having one year's worth of experience with a similar size size deal. So that's a small balance loan. Kind of their standard loan is called the fixed rate conventional loan. And this is going to be their most popular loan program. And for this one, you've got a loan size between $5 million and $100 million. But besides that, pretty standard loan terms. So let's just go to the pros and cons. The pros, got competitive interest rates, LTV up to 80%, non-recourse and assumable. Supplemental loans are available after 12 months. You're actually able to secure this loan not only for apartments, but also for mixed-use properties as well. And then the closing process is under 60 days. So it's a pretty quick process. The cons, things to think about, some drawbacks. There are, again, going to be replacement reserves required, as well as third-party reports. And then from a cost perspective, 
There's a $2,000 application fee or 1% of the loan amount plus $15,000. So at least $17,000 for the application fee. And then there's also going to be a loan origination fee and then also legal fees between $8,000 and $12,000. Now, the mirror image kind of of the fixed rate conventional loan is going to be the floating rate. So really the only difference between the fixed rate and the floating rate is going to be the interest rate. So for the fixed rate conventional, there's a fixed interest rate. For the floating rate, there's a floating interest rate, and the floating interest rate is based off of the one-month LIBOR index. And the pros and cons for this are essentially the exact same, except a potential con for the floating rate is that the interest rate is not going to be locked in. It could go up and down based off of, again, that one-month LIBOR rate, that LIBOR index. And the last two loans are going to be two rehab or two value-add type loans. The first one is called the moderate rehab loan, and the second one is called the value-add loan. So for the moderate rehab loan, they will fund up to 80% of the renovations, and they will fund between $25,000 and $60,000 per unit. That includes interiors and exteriors. So you need to spend at least $7,500 per unit for the interiors for this loan program. The debt service coverage ratio must not go below one, and the projects need to be completed within three years, so 36 months. Whereas for the value-add loan, this is a property that is high quality and requires only moderate renovations. So unlike the moderate rehabilitation loan, which is interesting that it's called a moderate because it is their actual top rehab loan that they have, because for the value-add loan, you are only able to get $10,000 to $25,000 per unit, and you must spend half of that money on the interiors. The maximum number of units is 500 units, so if you have a 501-unit property, you can't get this loan. And the renovations must start within 90 days, and it must be completed within 33 months, so total three years. So for the moderate rehab loan, some of the pros and the cons. The pros is that they'll fund up to 80% of the renovations. There are going to be competitive interest rates again with interest-only payments during the renovations, and it's also going to be non-recourse. Some of the cons, drawbacks, things to think about, there is additional documentation that's going to be required since you are doing those renovations, and the borrower should be well-funded and experienced in successful completion of similar renovation projects. And then lastly, monitoring is going to be required, and you're going to have to send quarterly progress reports and inspections of the rent progress reports and inspections as well as the rent rolls and operating statements on a quarterly basis. For the value add, you are able to secure up to 85% LTV. Something else that's nice for a pro is that the budget can be increased by up to 20% without approval. So if your initial budget is a million dollars, then you can do $1.2 million with a renovation without having to get additional approval. You're also able to spend up to 50% of funds can be spent on the exteriors. So at least 50% needs to be spent on the interiors. The loan can also be extended for one year with a 0.5% extension fee and another year at the lender's discretion for a 1% fee. So typically the value add loan term is three years, but you could pay for up to two one-year extensions. In regards to the drawbacks of this loan, your underwriting needs to support a 1.3 debt service coverage ratio and a 75% LTV based on the stabilized value. 
So that's essentially at the end of year three. The service coverage ratio and LTV need to be 1.3 and 75% respectively. The engineering review is required at the loan maturity. So at the end of that 36 months, then there's going to be an engineering review. There's also replacement reserves required. The loan is not assumable. And there is a $2,000 or 0.1% of the loan amount required as a fee. Now, I think I'm going to stop there for today. I think this is a good stopping point because we're able to cover both of those agency loans, the Fannie Mae loan and the Freddie Mac loan. In the beginning of next week's episode, I'm going to finish up talking about these loan programs. That is going to be HUD loan. So the HUD loan actually has four different programs. And and as you will see, their loan programs are going to be relatively similar to the Fannie and Freddie Mae with a pretty big difference. We'll talk about that on the next episode. And also there's a few other ones that kind of one, not necessarily one off, but um, not super common, but they're out there. They exist. And you might hear these terms out there when people are discussing debt and loans. So that concludes this episode. Again, I, l- I recommend listening to part one, which was posted yesterday, or if you're listening to this in the future, the podcast episode directly before this one. I also recommend listening to the other syndication school series about the how-tos of apartment syndications, as well as to download the free top loan programs document. All of these can be found at syndicationschool.com. Thank you for listening, and I will talk to you next week. If you're a passive investor and want to learn more about Ashcroft Capital, the company I co-founded with my business partner, Frank, and in particular want to learn more about our strategy and how we think about the opportunities that we purchase, go to ashcroftcapital.com and click the strategy button above, and you'll be able to read through our thought process we use when we're purchasing multifamily properties. Best Ever listeners, we have launched bestevercauses.com. That's bestevercauses.com. We profile a nonprofit or cause that is near and dear to our heart, get the word out about their cause, and also donate money towards their cause. If you'd like to, one, learn more about the causes that we're profiling, we do one a month, then go to bestevercauses.com. And if you want to suggest a cause that we profile that is near and dear to your heart, then go to bestevercauses.com. And there's a little form at the bottom of the page where you can submit one and we'll check it out. If you're a passive investor and want to learn more about Ashcroft Capital, the company I co-founded with my business partner, Frank, and in particular want to learn more about our strategy and how we think about the opportunities that we purchase Go to ashcroftcapital.com and click the strategy button above and you'll be able to read through our thought process we use when we're purchasing multifamily properties. Best Ever listeners, we have launched bestevercauses.com. That's bestevercauses.com. We profile a nonprofit or cause that is near and dear to our heart, get the word out about their cause, and also donate money towards their cause. If you'd like to, one, learn more about the causes that we're profiling, we do one a month, then go to bestevercauses.com. And if you want to suggest a cause that we profile that is near and dear to your heart, then go to bestevercauses.com. And there's a little form at the bottom of the page where you can submit one and we'll check it out.